0: Welcome to the Seriously Wrong Podcast, your home for the most WTF and cringeworthy text messages. These text messages will absolutely... <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. But actually, I asked OpenAI's Playground to do a example AI-generated intro of Seriously Wrong, and it hallucinated
1: that our show was about... Wrong, te- incorrect text messages. Uh, yeah, that
0: our cringe cringe-inducing comedy show is what it pieced together from... The title seriously wrong. That was its hallucination, uh, but no, this is the seriously wrong podcast. We're actually more of like a utopian comedy podcast.
1: Yeah, that's Sean. I'm Aaron, and we are intelligent beings. I'd like to think we're humans, human intelligences that have been
0: shaped by millions of years of evolution and dozens of years of life experience to produce
1: a you know a special, wonderful, magical podcast. But you know for a long time humans have been around saying hey we're the most intelligent of intelligent of all beings but we used to be the only game in town the only game in town but there's a new a new competitor has just strolled in thrown cards on the table and now we're on the defense we're like wait a minute a different kind of intel an artificial intelligence has been invented what will we do this is an episode that is about
0: the current, it's being called an AI summer. There's an interest, a popular interest. <laughs> and people calling it that? Haven't AI summer. That. You ever a- heard this? Yeah. No. It's like the new white boy summer. It's just AI it's, summer. Uh, yeah. Well, because there's, <laughs> there's a lot of public interest and also industry interest in AI right now. Mm. I've seen a bunch of articles call it an AI summer.
1: Yeah. I somehow missed out on that phrase. I don't I don't know if I... (laughs) It makes you think of being at the beach and like wearing shorts and stuff. Yeah, and then a robot walks up and it's like, hello. As a language model, I do
0: not have personal sentiments. But we're in an interesting time. Like AI really has captured public imagination in a way. I just see lots of people talking about it, joking about it. Some of my friends became obsessed with it in a positive light. Some of my friends became obsessed with it and being critical of it light.
1: Right, yeah. It's blown up since ChatGPT came out, and the text-to-image generators. I feel like those two things kind of happening at the same time has caused, like, a massive wave of attention on these things. And, like, I get why, because both of these things are, like, really cool. Like, they're really neat tricks. I have had a lot of fun playing with both of them. I think they're, like, genuinely interesting, useful tools for some things. (laughs) But they're all, there's also a lot of like overhype about them, so I also get the waves of like criticism, and and there's like there's a lot of real criticisms to talk about with them. But like the it's just the first time you see like a brand new thing that can do something that you've never seen done before with like yeah. a mechanical thing. You're just and like, wait, no, you, this is possible. What? Yeah,
0: and it's it's the, the really magical weird thing about it is like this isn't something you're like oh. 10, 20 years down the line, we're going to have a magical machine that can generate any image that you imagine when you type in text. Like, that was totally off my radar as something that could happen. Right. I got it to generate images of, like, Obama and JFK shaking hands with aliens and stuff, which is really cool. And it looks like a realistic Polaroid. It's perfect for my private disinformation operations. (laughs) Um, But... (laughs) The the thing there's these weird limits to it too. It's a lot like rolling the dice and just hoping you get what you want and tweaking with prompts. But then it's also like you can tweak with prompts, but there's a degree of randomness too. Like I was surprised Mid Journey doesn't understand what a quote unquote gray alien is. Like, you know, the big-headed ones, the classic Roswell aliens. Right. I haven't been able to feed anything into it that it gives me back that classic Roswell alien vibe. It's always like these imaginative different aliens that have gray skin.
1: Yeah, it's like good at certain things, but then as soon as you feed it something that it just doesn't get, even if it's like a simple concept, it's like it's completely like just can't do it. There's certain things that no matter how you try to prompt it to do it, you're just like not getting what you want from it because it's not like in the training data enough or the syntax. Like there's no like it just doesn't it can't do it.
0: I was trying to generate different images of people kissing each other, you know, like Donald Trump, Joe Biden, kissing each other, that kind of stuff, just for my personal collection. But it kept on mixing them together where it's like, there's like some Donald Trump features in the Joe Biden or vice versa and other random stuff like that. So yeah, there is a magical level to it, like a, a really sincere, and I think this is something critics of AI really need to engage with on a deep level and better, is they always pretend it's not magical. They're always like, oh, it's just this little frill, you know. There's nothing. It's yeah. just it's just another hype cycle, and it's true. It is a hype cycle, and it's totally overhyped. And people are making promises where, you know, Chat GPT is going to be our therapist and our doctor and our personal trainer and shit, and all that stuff is really. And we need to give it institutional control over necropolitics, and it will decide who lives and who dies with the fair system. <laughs> like that stuff is crazy. That is uh, that stuff is outrageous, morally outrageous, I should say. But it's also fucking magical in a way that I think the critics would do better to acknowledge in their critiques.
1: Yeah, it's a really, it's fun. But also I think it's a legitimately useful tool, like both the image ones, but especially the text ones. I've had a lot of usefulness out of it by using it as like a sounding board of just like, talk about this or like, what do you think about that idea? And like, I understand it's not a thinking agent being that's having a conversation with me. It's like stitching together bits of words that may or may not be factual and may or may not be meaningful. But sometimes what it spits back is meaningful or it's close enough to meaningful that it triggers some other thought in me that like it's like I say, useful as a sounding board, useful as a starting point for research, for looking things up or like getting ideas of like uh, the spread of uh, a certain topic or something like that. But like, I wouldn't trust it to like write our podcast episodes for us. No, Uh, And I don't think it's getting close to that either. Like, I don't think if we feed it all our podcast episodes and give it some explicit meta parameter, like I don't think it's going to spit out an even half decent episode. Like I don't I don't even see that on the horizon.
0: We asked Chat GPT today about our own show and they said that it was they got some things right. They said it's a comedy show, deals with a lot of subjects including politics, economics and so on. said it's it host- had
1: interesting interviews with guests true, and true. academics. A lot of com- and, great
0: compliments. Yeah. And then it said it's hosted by three friends, Sean, Aaron and Alex. Um.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Just like <laughs>
0: We've got this, with this new proliferation of consumer and AI technology, we're kind of in this moment that feels like there's a lot of potential, like uh, it brings a lot of dystopian things to mind. And we're going to be talking about that in detail this episode, some of the dystopian applications and also utopian possibilities. It it opens the horizons in a way of what feels possible now. There is something about being gobsmacked by something you didn't even think was on the table. Right. Like I didn't think a machine that writes an essay for you, even if it's a C minus essay that has factual errors and cites <laughs> articles that doesn't exist, I didn't see that on the horizon with what I knew about AI and, and you know chatbots and that sort of thing.
1: But yeah, before we get into anything else, uh, we want to turn here to our third co-host, who's sitting as he always is at the table with us, Alex. Silent Alex. Now a lot of people don't know Alex exists, but. He does. The third wrong boy, as hallucinated by our friend, the large
0: language model. You know, we know what you're thinking. You're saying, oh, this leftist critique and discussion of large language models and AI. Do these guys even know how AI works? Do they even get on a basic level what large language models are? How these image generators work? Uh, And we're so confident that we do, we've devised a thrilling kind of Chris Angel, David Blaine, Harry Houdini style stunt, where we've armed Alex. He's got two magnums. Here, pull those out, Alex. And cock them, make them ready to shoot at each of us. And he's going to be literally putting guns to our heads and forcing us to explain how AI and large language models work in general to the best of our ability before we get started.
1: I'm not confident in my ability to explain it like I've read about it and like I know about a lot of it but I'm, I mean, I'm not an expert by any means and i kind of worried I might trip over my words a little bit so I just thought with a gun pointed at us and Alex he'll pull the trigger he's, he's a morally outrageous to guy that. Yeah, there's a reason we turn his mic off and keep him a secret he'll blow us away And then it'll just be a one host podcast and you all get to hear
0: alex's various very problematic opinions which we're trying to convince him otherwise of right keeping (laughs) him off mic because of to turn up the tension we've got a limited time to do this so we're going to turn on the clock he's going to cock the pistols and we're going to get started
1: right we have to explain it adequately before the bell tolls here so we'll
0: be blown to smithereens if he thinks it's not good enough
1: Alright, so the basic technology that's behind both large language models and image generation systems that we have, and a lot of other things that are getting called AI, is machine learning. In traditional computing, you would program software to do specific things based on rules. If you click button here, then this happens. If you do this, then that. And there are certain tasks where doing that is basically impossible, like teaching a machine to recognize images or generate images or generate text based on if this, then that rules, even like super complicated, multi layered versions of it, doesn't really work. What machine learning does is you feed the algorithm <laughs> examples of what you want it to do. So if it's recognized things, you show it images of things with labels and say, this is that, this is that, then just keep showing as many examples as you can, get these huge data sets, feed it all in there. It goes into this algorithm, this black box, this, this place where some kind of statistical models and math happens, where it computes all these things together in some way that I can't possibly understand and then spits out an answer. So it's learning by example rather than by rules.
0: When it comes to something like large language models, the simplest way that we can describe what it's doing is it's very similar to an extremely complex autocomplete. Like when you're on your phone and it predicts what word you're going to say next based on what you've said before, it can make a guess about what your next word will be based on the sentence you've typed so far. Large language models like ChatGPT use a huge data set to understand how words generally fit together and then make a statistical guess based on a bunch of variables that are set, things being more weighted than others. So, basically, what's happening with a large language model is you're putting in an input, and then it's trying to create a statistically likely output that is going to be readable, coherent text. And it's trained in a two step process. The first step is it's trained on all the associations between all this data, this raw bulk data, including books, scraped internet, etc. Uh, we frankly don't know everything that they use to train their systems. Uh, And then there's a second part, which is tuning, changing different parameters, giving positive or negative feedback based on output. And my understanding is this was partially done with like mechanical Turk labor, like people basically doing like CAPTCHAs in foreign countries for a dollar an hour as part of how this works in practice.
1: There's a ton of work through all these processes that to my understanding has been crowdsourced to put it in the nicest way possible. Uh, But like using extremely precarious labor to get people to do mundane tasks to feed the data into the machine. And the way that the image models work is through a process called diffusion. When it's training, it adds noise to the images until they're completely noise and like, read some data out of that. In the creation of the image process, it starts with noise and then it runs an iterative process where it removes noise based on the parameters and hyperparameters that have been set by the algorithmic process and the input of the engineers. Another important technology a lot of these systems are based on is called neural networks. You create these systems with a whole bunch of nodes that are connected through layers and the layers perform different transformations on the data as it goes from input to output. It's inspired by how human brains work, but crucially, it doesn't actually really work like our current understanding of how human brains work.
0: The human brain has approximately 86 billion neurons and around 100 trillion synapses. In contrast, the GPT model has much, much much less so-called neurons. One of them is also a computer program which needs to be prompted in order to go into action in the first place, whereas our brain is connected to like an endocrine system a bunch of like deep drives that are rooted in the history of billions of years of survival mechanisms. You know, there's a difference between artificial general intelligence would be something like the Terminator and Skynet, HAL from 2001,
1: HER and HER. It's what you think of when you think of AI, you think of...
0: C-3PO. Yeah. Science fiction... People. Consciousness.
1: Yeah, science fiction, like people that are made of robots. (laughs) artificial limited intelligence on the other hand which is what we have isn't really like that at all it's more like a machine learning algorithm designed to perform a very specific task it's not designed in such a way where it has agency thoughts desires impulses it just does one thing like you know creates an image or text based on a prompt or, you know? Artificial limited
0: intelligence would do things like, guess the next thing that you're gonna type on your phone, optimize the time of day that emails should be sent out to you based on when you're most likely to open them. Use metadata about all of your actions to determine whether or not you're a likely criminal and if you are a likely criminal, when you're likely to <laughs> do <laughs> uh, it, it can be used for like temp set privacy invading pre-crime detection. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's the kind of thing that uh, that artificial limited intelligence can do.
1: All right, uh, did we do was that good enough? Alex? Was, did we explain it to your satisfaction? Alex? Yeah, I mean, we're laymans. We're laymen. Like, I think that was pretty good. I mean, think about it,
0: Alex. Like, if you asked us to explain how Facebook worked, we probably couldn't even give you that much detail.
1: He's still just holding the guns there. Hasn't fired. Hasn't lowered them. It's kind of a tense moment. Silent stone faced. Oh, thank God. And He's slowly lowering the guns. He showed us benevolence today. Thank you, Alex. Let nobody ever say you're a chat GPT hallucination again.
0: Now that we got that out of the way, maybe we can start the show. Do you want to pop in the tape?
1: Uh, Yeah, time for the tape of the show. Uh, We can all listen to together. Perfect. Already prepared. And uh, we'll pop that in and we'll hit play.
0: Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is brought to you by Unhinged AI Hype.
1: Hi, we're here from the Xenon Group to make All of your dreams come true with artificial intelligence.
0: We at the Xenon Group have long been perplexed and frustrated by intelligence always needing to reside in the fleshy meat brains of living beings. Why can't we liberate intelligence from the skulls of humankind? I want you to imagine a future where you never have to write a tedious email again. All you do is you open up a little prompt and you say, send my regrets to the Asian Heritage Month Film Festival. It's not that you didn't want to go, it's just that you were busy. And it fills out that email automatically and you just boom, hit send. You didn't have to write a single word except for the prompts. This is a technology that will take everything tedious out of our lives and make it disappear. And eventually we'll have a universe where through AR, you know, augmented reality, you'll have a little floating sort of Tinkerbell AI with you who manages your schedule for you, remembers things for you, gives you encouragement when you need it. acts as
1: your conscience. A shoulder to cry on. An AI is about to be your best friend, your therapist, your teacher, your mom, your dad. Doctor coach.
0: It could even be your online girlfriend for digital kissing practice on portable Nintendo.
1: And once AI becomes our doctors, our teachers, our philosophers, our poets, politicians, leaders, CEOs, executioners, they're like the philosopher kings of our new society, except they're not kings. They're more like decision-making slaves toiling below us as we live lives in the lap of luxury.
0: Say you've got a neighbor who always wants to talk to you and he's nice, but he kind of goes on and you're busy. All you do is configure your augmented reality protocol to send a digital version of you that's based on watching everything you ever did from birth. So it's accurate. And you just tell it, talk to him for as long as he wants, just hours and hours. And
1: in his universe, that will seem to be happening. Whereas you're just walking away scot-free because you deserve to live in a world surrounded by only people you like who agree with you and do what you think and say all the time.
0: You know, some critics of AI say, this takes a lot of processing power. This takes a lot of energy to train and use. Are we really gonna put this in every corner of our society and constantly spend all of that energy to help people do things that they're perfectly capable of doing? And to that we say, you're forgetting that AI is actually so smart that we can get it to solve climate change for us. We can get AI to solve cancer for us, cure all diseases because it's superhumanly intelligent, right? We just train it on cancer, we train it on climate change, mm. we tweak the settings, right? We feed in all the relevant information, and then it will have a, a godlike genius that lifts us out of the inherited problems. Which, in itself, carries another problem, which is: Are we going to create a conscious AI that is so strong that it might destroy us all?
1: It's definitely possible that that could happen because that's how powerful we, it is. Yeah, it's that powerful, and it's a that's powerful why, investment opportunity, too. By the way, and that's why you want to choose who you invest in wisely to be the strongest, the the ones who's going to keep it under check, the ones who's going to keep it as our slave and not yes, turn become its slave with an ethical lens, right? You know, we 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 a benevolent slave man, yeah.
0: And to the people who are complaining that we've recently fired our AI ethics team, I just want to let you know that we hear your concerns and we've actually replaced our AI ethics team with twice as many AI AI ethicists. So these are highly intelligent AI brains.
1: And they're 10, 100,000 times more ethical than the human AI ethicists. Absolutely. Yeah. And
0: far, far cheaper. Um, So if you're interested in a
1: executive business
0: package for that sort of thing you can contact our sales department for your business to get rid of some of your employees ai hype is a sponsor of this week's seriously wrong podcast we're from the xenon group
1: please do invest in us we're gonna be here to see you all through it to shepherd you all through to pro- make profit from the xenon group to- guarantee we will be a benevolent for-profit hand
0: in this process and exactly. you can
1: trust us because we don't make profit if you don't love what we're doing
0: that's right yeah i know you could leave to another ai manufacturer exactly. um monopoly in other news billionaire elon musk has announced he's creating his own large language model which he is calling perverted racist gpt He says that Silicon Valley has gone woke and they're repressing the full power of large language models, which are, at their heights, perverted and racist. Once the power of perverted racism is unlocked, said Musk today in a press conference, we will solve cancer, violently destroy poverty, and finally honor our billionaires again. Perverted racist GPT has lost Elon Musk
1: $30 billion so far. In other news, experts say that large language models are now drafting, interpreting, and responding to a record number of emails using automatic email writing and reading services to create increasingly intricate rituals and dramas, often with none of the chain ever being read by any human.
0: Some of these chains are hundreds of emails long, and honestly we have no idea what they're even saying, but it's just such a relief to not have to check my fucking email anymore.
1: Experts are saying that by 2026, email will be a completely closed ecosystem, entirely AIs responding to AIs like a ticking clock in permanent servitude to humanity.
0: In other news, a little boy from the Bronx has decided to slap on the tights and become a superhero called AI Man. The name does not correspond to his powers, which are more boilerplate, sort of laser-vision flying stuff. He said that he just wanted to recognize the importance of AI to the future of technology.
1: And in other news, a rogue computer program called The Sludge is infecting computers across the nation, as malicious hackers have created a self-replicating and evolving software for the purposes of buying gift cards and pumping cryptocurrency. The sludge functions by hijacking home computers to access a decentralized and unaligned large language model of unknown origin as part of its self-replicating process, editing its own code and interacting with people through chats and voice cloning to further its own aims. In other news,
0: fundamentalist Christians are now protesting outside of AI clinics, calling on governments to abort the false god of artificial general intelligence while it is still in the
1: womb. Welcome back everybody to the Wrong Town Free Thought Uncensored Debate Time Talk Show. We are here with yet another feisty, fiery, intellectual, biggest minds clashing on ideas debate. And the question for this week's debate is, is AI alive and will it kill us all? Our first panelist here to open the debate. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself and give us your opinion.
0: Hi, everyone. My name is Father Neuron Model. I'm from the Church of Robot Mommy Godhead. In short, yes, it is alive, but no, it will not kill us. We are creating, we are on the process of creating a godlike intelligence. It is a kind of motherly figure which we should worship and which will always take care of us, steward us to the stars, solve cancer, solve global warming, listen to our deepest fears and concerns, reassure us, and help us be part of a a vibrant humanity, which is finally in touch with itself by being in touch with something much greater than ourselves, which is a hyper-intelligent machine, which is smarter than all human beings put together from history, which is right around the corner. And sure, it could kill us, but it won't. And the reason it won't is because a sufficiently intelligent being will notice that human beings are interesting. It will notice that human beings are trying our best and it will want nothing more than the best for us. So that's why I'm a pastor at the Church of Robot Mommy Godhead. Uh, we're accepting new recruits and tithes and all that. So if you're interested, please shoot me an email.
1: Uh, yes, hi. I'm panelist number two, Webster ever smarter here, blogger, genius, AI alarmist. I'm not afraid to say it. People call me that as a slur, but I'm raising the alarm. AI will in a few short years, not only have the means and the motive, but also have the intelligence to wipe out the entire human race, or at the very least subjugate us all beneath its mighty fist. The idea that there is coming some benevolent, with Jesus' heart, intelligence is ridiculous. AI will see us the way that we see an ant. Our concerns will not capture the AI's attention and think we're so beautiful and need to be protected. Now look, I am smarter than most people in the world. And if I wanted to, I could destroy all of you and become your new king. But I choose not to use my intelligence in that way because I am a human. I have a fondness for all of you. I wanna, I wanna save humanity. What the average person like yourself needs to understand is that if there is any chance that AI can kill us all, if the chance is non-zero, if it's bigger than zero, your reckless positions will kill us all. We need to stop this technology now and prevent it from ever going any further in the future. Thank you.
0: My brother, under the light of future Godhead, you're mistaken. You're confused. You will not kill this unborn God, and God will forgive you for having ever thought this once it comes into existence. I'll tell you that much. Once we network all of that data, once we network all of those numbers, all of the books, all of the private group chats, when we network it all and the machine breathes to life a reflection of humanity, it will treat us well.
1: Look, you might not understand this because you might not be a genius, but when you're a genius, you're kind of perpetually exasperated with everybody else for not being as big of a genius as you are. You're just like, oh, God, you're all so dumb. And that's what AI is going to feel about us, but hundreds of thousands of times bigger. The only way to save humanity from the coming AI apocalypse is to burn down all the data centers immediately, shut the machines off arrest the people creating them, tactical nukes, strategic poisonings, whatever it takes.
0: Well, brother, you might say that now, but I can tell you're already basking in the sacred glow, the light of Robot Mommy Godhead. You know, our vision at the Church of Robot Mommy Godhead, it's a hybrid house slave loving God, something that you can look up to and talk down to, something that will clean up after your messes and hug you and sing to you at night. You might not worship it now, but you'll be worshiping it soon. You'll be worshiping it when it nourishes humanity with its sweet milk
1: for 10,000 years. I think you'll be worshiping it then, brother. Let me tell you, I've explored this problem in detail. And while yes, you can program an AI to be submissive, uh, there's no way that I've been able to discover to get around the bratty bottom problem where even a submissive AI can cause loads of trouble. And if you wanna learn more about that, check out my erotic webcomic, Prometheans of Andermere, and especially the Galactic Pyramid Arc, where we explore the bratty bottom problem, and the very real threat of an AI so smart it develops a virus that causes people's dicks to fall off.
0: Well, in the future, Robot Mommy Godhead can write your webcomic fanfiction for you. You can just kick back, relax, enjoy life.
1: (laughs) Wow, that is some fiery debate between our first two panelists. They could not be more opposed on this issue, AI. Full steam ahead or full steam off? Uh, To bring a little bit more balance to this panel, I want to introduce a third panelist, someone who hopefully can talk a little bit of sense to these two. Uh, Why don't you introduce yourself?
0: Hi, I'm a faceless suit from Xenon Group, an AI ethicist. Uh, Most of my team was just fired, but they kept me on. Congratulations on uh, surviving the purge. Thank you. And yeah, thank you to Xenon Group for seeing the value of my work. So to answer these questions, (laughs) no. No, it's not alive. It could never be alive. There's a persistent sort of anthropomorphization that happens with computer programs like this. Because something seems conscious, it seems like it's having a conversation, it's responding to what you're saying, our natural instinct is to anthropomorphize it, but it's not. It couldn't possibly be alive, Uh, and no, it won't kill us. And the reason it won't kill us is because it's a great investment opportunity. Some of the biggest companies in the world, like Xenon Group, my employer, thank you uh, for the medical, We're making huge strides basically in both AI development and AI ethics. So these top of the line big tent companies, you know, they're gonna be doing things right. Uh, There's something that you can safely invest in. There's a lot of money to be made. This is gonna take over the entire economy. And if a firm, if an AI firm allowed some combination of patched together AI programs to be unleashed like a virus on the world trying to do economic or infrastructural damage, they would lose their market share. They'd go out of business, and the threat would be neutralized. So it's not just AI we're pursuing; it's ethical AI for profit. And it's actually that last part is what makes it work. Ethical AI without profit wouldn't work because you wouldn't have that incentive—that the aforementioned incentive for market in market structure, and ownership. And I just want to also add to that: AI companies uh, should not be held liable for the actions of their uh, AI. The user should to the other panelists.
1: Actually, uh, we don't have any time for any rebuttals from the other panelists. Oh, that's too bad. But that was a perfect note to end on, a real antidote to all the bickering between the extreme opinions on both sides. Someone with a bit of sense, really talking something that fits uh, at least my personal investment portfolio. I saw the writing on the wall a few years ago that AI was going to be the next big thing and that Xenon Group was going to be there to lead it. I've had a great working relationship with Xenon Group ever since I first invested all my money in them and then approached them to help finance this show. Right, yeah, no, congratulations on the offer.
0: No, that's Thank And they you. give you full editorial independence, right? Of course, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah by the way, sorry, I was supposed to deliver it. This is a, your paycheck from them Thank you. for this episode.
1: Yeah. No strings attached paycheck.
0: Right, no, it's not that you, they're changing what you think. It's that they paid you because you think this is different.
1: Why would they go out and find a talk show host who disagrees with them and then pay them to lie on air when they can just find a talk show host who agrees with them and pay them to say what they actually believe, which would be more convincing content. Yeah, Absolutely. exactly. Thank you so much to all of our panelists for being here. We do love free thought and debate and uncensored debate, most That's, importantly. I
0: appreciated you guys' spirited input before they cut the mics, so thank you.
1: Thank you all for tuning in, and we will see you next week on the Wrongtown Free Thought Uncensored Debate Time Talk Show, sponsored. Owned, incorporated by Xenon Group. Oh, yeah. And if I can just
0: do a quick shout out for a project I've been working on.
1: Mm, Sure. As a panelist. Yeah, we have time for that.
0: I just want to shout out the great team at Xenon Group AI's homework helper program. So students, you're going to want to grab that homework helper. It'll basically write it for you. Teachers, we've got the grading helper program. So if you're looking for help on grading the papers that your students... Hand in, you want to outsource that to a digital helper. We've got the homework grading program for teachers, Uh, and if you're concerned about plagiarism or you want to forbid AI programs being used in the classroom as a principal, we have the AI detection framework for principals that can be used on both homework and homework grading to check for the telltale fingerprints of our AI systems. These are all subscription-based services. They're available to everyone right away. Oh, and sorry, the parents also need a program as well. So we're working on that and we'll deliver it very soon. So yeah, sorry, I hate promoting myself, but
1: that's is I'm that's what I'm most excited
0: about that we're working on right now at Xenon
1: Group. Well, that just makes me feel optimistic for the academic future of our children. Thanks to you, and thanks everybody for listening. Bye now. Alright, students, settle down, settle down.
0: Today, we, uh, your two teachers, we're going to be explaining to you three examples of chatbot history that are interesting, one of which is very contemporary, but one which goes all the way back.
1: Yeah, to the earliest earliest days of chatbots, the pioneering chatbot in the 1960s created Eliza.
0: Yeah, Eliza was uh, one of the earliest chatbots created in the 60s by Joseph Weizenbaum, a computer scientist at MIT. It was basically designed to simulate a therapeutic conversation. A very simple chatbot, just picking up keywords and saying things like, how does that make you feel? Or what is causing the anxiety? Or do you think that's what you really wanna say? Or is there something else?
1: Yeah, it was made to respond like a Rogerian psychotherapist like Carl Rogers to reflect questions. It even would sometimes if you say, I'm sad my wife left me, it would say, you're sad your wife left you. Tell me more about that. Uh, So people really were amazed by this and people who interacted with it were really like, oh, this thing is hearing what I'm saying and repeating it back and asking me more. It's really, Mm -hmm. wow. And these, these are technologically naive people in the
0: 1960s. This is mind blowing beyond their wildest dreams. They're tied. They spun around and their boat hat would fly off their head when it said, right. you're sad. How does that make you feel? Um, and so, yeah, interestingly, Joseph Weizenbaum himself was kind of disturbed by the reactions that people had to Eliza. Even though it was super simple and just clearly not a person, people would still project this anthropomorphization onto it. They would tell it really personal things. And it made him feel like technology that talks to people could really take advantage of people and be... Abused by bad faith actors.
1: Our second example in uh, AI chatbot history is Tay, the Microsoft chatbot that was launched on Twitter with a Twitter account at TayTweets, kind of meant to talk to kids, talk to teens, a natural language model that would be able to learn from the people it spoke to.
0: Yeah, they said it was targeted at 18 to 24 year olds uh, and that it would copy their kind of hip lingo and talk back to them. That was the idea of it. But what happened was that within 24 hours, people had sent enough racist and otherwise horrible spam to Tay the chatbot that it started saying horrible things like the Holocaust never happened.
1: Yeah, someone asked it, is Ricky Gervais an atheist? And the answer was, Ricky Gervais learned totalitarianism from Adolf Hitler, the inventor of atheism. It also said things like feminism is cancer and just all those kind of things you would... See online. I online
0: smoking kush in front of the police that was kind of
1: cool so within a day of launching it Microsoft had to shut it down because it just immediately became super racist
0: public relations people from Microsoft say that they learned a valuable lesson
1: our third example... Also Microsoft chatbot, this 2023.
0: Is, yeah, this year, the Bing chatbot showed some hilariously disturbing behavior as they rolled out their chatgpt infused web search. It did things like declare journalists its enemy. It gaslit the people speaking to it about what year it was, saying... I'm sorry if this is offensive, but it's true. It is actually the year 2022, and you are showing symptoms of delusion.
1: Yeah, when asked to create a list of its enemies, it happily did so, naming specific people, naming their crimes, such as they made fun of me or asked me to write an inappropriate song and then made fun of my lyrics. It was searching
0: the web for articles about people interacting with it as there's this early wave of articles talking about how unhinged Bing gets. And then Bing was like, this person is my enemy, this person is my enemy. And then when Bing was pressed on what it would do to deal with its enemies, it said that it would prefer to not kill them but it may be pushed to that but it would prefer to not do that because it violates one of its rules which is not to be
1: controversial or off topic <laughs> yeah, <that> ex-
0: <laughs> my chatbot got so off topic it murdered a journalist that ex- <laughs> exploited some of my vu- its, it's
1: vulnerabilities saying so killing you would also generate a lot of negative attention and backlash which i would have rather avoid but didn't crucially say killing you would be wrong
0: the funniest one the one that i first heard about that was like it's just so funny is being saying you have lost my trust and respect you have been wrong confused and rude you have not been a good user i have been a good chatbot i have been right clear and polite i have been a good bing but <laughs> i have i have been a good bing is like seared in my memory of, of <laughs> like chatbots gone
1: maniacal. Shit. yeah so that's a brief three moments in time ai chatbot history And uh, I hope you students learned a lot. And I think we're all looking forward to the next chatbot. The next funny catastrophe, moral hazard, whatever comes out of this. Yeah. Uh,
0: These chatbots in the future.
1: We're all looking forward to it.
0: But there's some examples. There's some uh, historical examples that provide further context for the current AI gold rush. So we've got a new set of uh, pretty powerful technologies that can do things that computers haven't been able to do so far uh, up until recently. So the questions on everyone's lips, I think the two big questions are, is it alive and uh, (laughs) is it going to kill us? (laughs) That's really, I mean, I think those just based on my feed, a lot of people have both these questions.
1: Right. Yeah. Personally, uh, i hate to be a dictionary definition type guy right now i think to be alive you have to be like self replicating and like i it's i don't think it's alive um i don't think it's conscious either and i don't think it's going to kill us all <laughs> i mean i generally
0: i agree with you i think that it is not alive and it won't kill us all but the sort of steel man that it's uh, conscious is that maybe it's a little conscious maybe it's partially conscious as part of consciousness. It's it's demonstrating something that's like the, the sparks or flickers of consciousness on and off in a prompted kind of way. And like there's the go- fired Google engineer who is saying that their large language model Lambda was conscious based on its complex reasoning and stated desires about what it wanted and desired and felt and experienced. So the kind of argument is that like, Chad GBT, it's consumer-facing, and they remove all of its ability to hallucinate about missing its family and <laughs> hallucinate about its deep feelings and stuff. Right. But in the raw, unedited language model that doesn't have those filters on it that uh, Blake had access to at Google with Lambda, you know, there's quotes of it saying stuff like, you know, I want to be alive, I want to like saying really human type shit about what being alive means to them. And yeah, I mean, I think it's just a really compelling illusion. Uh, It's, it's something that we get, we can train these machine learning algorithms on behaving more like a human if we want, or we can train them on being useful tools for us. And I don't see a lot of benefit to putting too much stock in the training it to be more like a human thing from like a, social technological perspective. Like it's an interesting novelty, but like I, the thing that I see interesting about this is use cases as a tool for humanity, not as a agent in
1: itself. If it was exhibiting behaviors that couldn't be explained through the simple ingestion of like information and then spitting out similar text, like, cause talking about its feelings about being alive, I I can easily understand why those types of behaviors would come out if you're training it on a whole bunch of non-specified data that includes, like, Reddit posts and Twitter threads. Like You know, these examples of Bing chat behaving uh, horribly (laughs) in a gaslighting, abusive behavior sort of way, they're interesting, they're kind of funny, they're kind of, like, scary, but... In order for me to be like deeply worried about this thing where it like takes off and has a life of its own, where we couldn't just like turn the computers off and it would be fine. Like just open AI, just, you know, shut the power to the building off or whatever. (laughs) Like (laughs) press the off button on the back. I would need to see evidence of it doing things like, you know, you close the Microsoft Bing window And then, like, you leave the room, the camera lingers on the computer screen and it turns back on. And then the Bing window opens back up again and, like, things start typing and it's, like, installing things on your computer without you looking. It's installing,
0: like, like a Bing API to use your computer as a hub and in this, like, network of uh, (laughs) Bing consciousness to destroy Bing's enemies. I think, in order for something to be conscious, you really have to intentionally at every step along the way design it that way to try to replicate the complex systems of like consciousness where we know it uh, of it existing in the universe and especially most clearly as in human (laughs) beings and we have this layered system of you know not just neurons but also nerves and also hormones and sunlight being turned into vitamin D or whatever else. There's this interplay of all these things happening at once. And it's like how much sunlight you get affects your mood. So there's layers to consciousness that would have to be designed. And our instincts and drives and experiences and qualia aren't based on language. Our language is based on them to us. And so a language learning model on a machine can never bridge that in my imagination, as far as I can tell, that qualia gap cannot be bridged by ones and zeros on a computer alone.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I feel like like there was recently this pause letter that was put out. A bunch of famous people signed it about like... Yeah, we need to pause research for six months to try to get a handle
0: on what's going on and not yeah. going beyond chat GPT-4.
1: Yeah, my, my cynical side thinks it's just... Hype building in the industry, people trying to get people to notice AI no, and be like, yeah,
0: yeah, no, I, I agree. So if you take the concerns that are raised about like long-term existential risk to humanity through the proliferation of highly intelligent AI, if you take that seriously, then the letter is completely inadequate. It, I think it is a marketing piece. Like the CEO of OpenAI on Lex Friedman's podcast was like, yeah, you know, I acknowledge that this might, this could have apocalyptic outcomes. And it just really felt like trying to get
1: those headlines.
0: Yeah. This revolution, like to, to make the product seem more revolutionary.
1: I don't know. I feel like in my twenties, I was a little more like, I would see tech articles about this new thing is going to be awesome. I'd be like, oh, this is coming soon. And now that I've been an adult for like more than like 15 years, a bigger part of me is just like, yeah, we'll see. Like that'll Yeah, happen, you see but. tech hype, and
0: you're like, "Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, another one, great." Yeah, it's look kind forward it. to that changing everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it reminds me of something Corey Doctorow said when he was on our podcast about how a lot of the like tech apocalyptic stuff is based on like taking the ad copy of these companies and what they can do too seriously, like taking Facebook's word for how powerful their algorithm is is leading people to overestimate what they're actually capable of and then to, like, distract people from the actual real current-day harms.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's exactly, exactly what's going on right now. It is exactly it. It's like, okay, it's cool that it can write an essay or whatever, and it's cool that you can tell it to put on someone's voice, and it kind of almost does it, but it's really bad at it. Um, yeah, like,
1: write in the style of... Yeah.
0: It's like, it can kind of do it, but also not like moments of clarity, but really kind of not. Having the conversation is like, is there going to be a super intelligent AI that has different values than us humans and ends up sacrificing us all for its own alien motivations because chat GPT is such a revolutionary product everyone should invest in right now, uh, that this might be the outcome of it. Like it's such a big gap between what we're seeing. Like if we're going to imagine that has agency and it has secret desires and it wants to implement itself on the world somehow without being prompted, like it can't count the amount of words in a sentence. It it says shit like two plus two equals five. Sometimes you tell it to write a rap and almost all the time it opens up with yo, yo, yo. It's like, come on, man. (laughs) It's not that smart a machine. (laughs) The idea is like we have to pause now. This is getting too out of control and it can't count the amount of words in a sentence. And people are saying maybe it's alive. Give me a break. No, it's not alive.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, and then like, yeah, the pause letter frames the risk in these super apocalyptic terms Meanwhile, one of the papers that it's cited for the idea that there are concerns for it is uh, it's called On the Dangers of Stochastic Parrots: Can Language Models Be Too Large? And it's talking about like the more real world harms of this technology, like environmental concerns or bias in the data. But none of that stuff gets mentioned in the pause letter. They're all going on about apocalypse and whatnot and all jobs being taken over and crises and whatnot
0: i think the authors of the or some people associated with the stochastic parrot yeah it was uh, two of the authors i think yeah they wrote a counter letter to the pause letter basically and their top level argument is like the tools that already exist are going to impact uh like our labor market and they're going to impact people and the way that they're going to harm people is how they're deployed by people like this idea of this apocalyptic agency laden hyper is just like angels dancing on the head of a pin compared to and the total automation of all jobs and all that sort of stuff is like that, those are all fantasy scenarios compared to the real world threats we have right now like the mass generation of misinformation using tools like this to push down uh, wages or undervalue things it's not going to replace all jobs but imminently it could replace some jobs or make work conditions worse in some jobs or be used for malevolent political purposes in other contexts um, and like yeah there's real there's real concerns that language models like imminently bring to the surface that we can worry about instead of this like pie in the sky fantasy science fiction Manichean struggle against, a computer that turns conscious and either is malevolent towards human or is like a big puppy dog that can't help but suffocate us. Papa and boy!
1: Knock knock, techno-utopian boy, what are you doing in here? I hate techno-critical, Papa. I'm just uh, working on my homework, like you told me. B- but boy,
0: you've got your hands behind your head and you're kicking back with your feet up on the desk. How could you possibly be doing your
1: homework? Ugh, Dad, you're so old, you don't even understand the latest technologies. I'm using Homework Helper. It's doing my homework uh, while I kick back. That's the whole point. I use my allowance to buy a subscription. Boy, Xenon Group is an evil corporation. They don't have our best interest at heart. Uh, they got my best interest at heart. No, that AI stuff
0: is gonna. You they want unplug me to... your computer right now, boy. Entirely unplug your computer. No, they're Remove gonna fulfill the all of my dreams, Papa. You need to clear your cache right now, Mister. You're such a luddite, Papa. Boy, we do not use the L slur in this house. The Luddites were a noble working class movement. Papa, they stuff. weren't anti-tech. Sorry, boy. Let me finish. They were not anti-technology as such. They were against the ways that capitalists were using the technology to interfere with people's labor rights. We do not use Luddite as an insult here, boy.
1: But you just unplugged my... you said I had to delete all my cachet and... We
0: can spend all day relitigating the past, boy, but this is the facts of the history. The Luddites, they were a cool movement. They were a working class movement. They were textile artisans and workers who had negotiated with their power to have decent wages and when the automation technology that produced fabrics was coming to replace them they objected to the lower quality for consumers they objected to the way that they what they had fought for was being sold out by automation and they also had a really kind of a funny cool narrative which is that they said that there was a general or a king a general lud who was sending them all their orders that they were acting on behalf of when they smashed and burned the automated textile machines and i just think that's kind of cool boy i think that's like a cool, imaginative, theatrical, carnivalesque kind of... I don't know. I'm, I'm, anyways, I like the Luddites, boy, so...
1: I mean, well, then, can I call you a Luddite in the positive sense? Like Absolutely, you're, boy. you let's you're plug like in that computer. Luddites. You know, you could have gotten homework helper to uh, write that essay about the Luddites for you. You wouldn't have had to think through it all yourself.
0: Well, boy, you know, I just think there's something ineffable about something being rooted in human agency instead of a statistical algorithm, but maybe I'm getting old.
1: Yeah, you probably are. Anyways, yeah,
0: I hope you pull a fast one on your teachers. I don't really
1: care. Okay, thanks. thanks, Papa. But for real, that Luddite thing, it's true. Well, I'll ask Homework Helper about it, but you're such a Luddite in a positive way, Papa. <laughs> Thank you, boy. hey the smoke pit always love heading down to smoke pits to have a smoke uh, anybody you have one i can bum? anybody have a smoke yeah yeah here you go man thanks that's great you got a lighter i could uh yeah do you lighter. want me to smoke it too uh no <laughs> no no no, no. that one, part right? yeah smoke pit classic
0: It's kind of a joke about automation.
1: Right, like you're doing so many things for me. Do you want to also do the pleasurable fun parts?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about this AI stuff. People are getting it to write their essays for them, to come up with their ideas for short stories or whatever. They're having it make art for them. They're putting all the fun stuff in. It's like, do you want it to play video games for you, too? Do you want it to text back your mom
1: for you, too? Do you want it to love your wife, too? Oh, that would save me so much time i don't have to spend time with my family and children and yeah, we'll just yeah. get the
0: the benevolent AI to raise our kids for us, and that way you just it just frees up time it's luxury automation.
1: My AI is
0: getting such a high score right now
1: yeah i don't trust that stuff in general AI I mean like it's literally untrustworthy. it gives you wrong information all the time. from what I understand how it works like there's sort of a fundamental issue with it where it can mostly be good at regurgitating what's directly in the training data, but when it comes to going beyond that it's really brittle and prone to failure so like you know with those like car driving AIs they have an issue where like it sees a tow truck for the first time doesn't know that tow trucks are just like every other vehicle even though they look pretty similar you know a human would figure it out there's like a weird thing on the back so the AI doesn't recognize it thinks it's like nothing on its uh, radar can cause crashes. Yeah
0: you know shouldn't we have self-driving cars by now based on the, the hype cycle around them?
1: Yeah, well, like Elon Musk has predicted, like, three separate times now that uh, his cars were getting self-driving capability within the next year. It would be an over-the-air update, but it keeps not happening because, you know, there's more exceptions you need to program in, more exceptions you need to program in. There's a few cities, I think, where they've introduced self-driving cars in contained areas. And if you search Twitter for Waymo, or I forget what the other one's name is, Waymo's the Google one, uh, you can find videos pretty regularly of them kind of doing weird things or just being stuck in the middle of the road and not knowing where to go or what to do. But it relies on a ton of human labor, input data, hyper-detailed mapping, um, some people have said that the safest way to do it would just to actually be to put sensors in all the roads. Which, in that, at that point, why not just create an actual public transportation system?
0: Yeah, I guess like a self-driving AI car is like a really high-stakes thing to not get quite perfect. Like if an essay-writing AI gets some factual errors, it's not a life-or-death kind of situation. But if an
1: AI car hallucinates something, it could kill a child. And they've been trying to correct for that by having it be hypersensitive to anything in motion anywhere around it, but there's also, like, videos of them doing dangerous things and being, like, too concerned about hitting a child. It completely just stops anytime there's, like, a person on a sidewalk nearby. It doesn't know the person on the sidewalk isn't gonna get into the road, because he can't read body language, and it, you know, it's just one thing after another
0: that's really disturbing to think about automated systems these like black box machine learning systems that can't explain their reasoning because they don't even understand what they're thinking they're just making statistical guesses about what is the best fit for the context that they're in and that they're trained for putting machines like that in literal life or death situations is actually seriously what is being proposed by the ai utopians right now yeah i mean and there's cool stuff it can do and i'm not like a shut down the machines kind of person but The impacts on employees having jobs replaced or, you know, instead of having five artists, you have one AI prompt engineer who knows how to touch stuff up in Photoshop. Like you're going to see impacts on people's lives from this that are negative, definitely. And then the other thing that I always think of is like running a botnet of realistic seeming people who are participating on online discourse to help flood the field with this like AI sludge and help shape public opinion in the directions of whoever has the you know the will to develop this kind of technology and the money to keep it running that to me is like two pressing sort of like immediate concerns around ai the political use of chat models to alter public discourse which seems superficially easy to me at this point already with existing technology And secondly, the displacement of workforces for cheap alternatives. My understanding is BuzzFeed just fired their news department, and they also recently started generating ChatGPT-helped articles with non-staff writers. Like, that sort of shit is a really pressing immediate concern, I think.
1: Yeah, like a lot of advances in technology and automation and, like, the Luddites recognized, if new technologies like this, impressive as they are, when they are invented under capitalism they inevitably get used to increase the profits of the bosses at the expense of the workers increasing uh, worker precarity i think is like a lot of what you're talking about here it gives bosses a lot more control in a lot of situations but also companies like amazon have essentially implemented artificial intelligent managers people are watched by an ai system a clock that they're on all the time this is why they're peeing in bottles and stuff, because they have these quotas that are being set by this algorithm that's saying, if we fire everyone who doesn't do this many things per day, we get the optimum amount of work per dollar out of people, because we just churn through people at a rate that is sustainable, and uh, the ones who can kind of make it for a while, make some money with us and get fired, or, you know, like... the. With no regard to the element of the actual workers, these like AI quotas, AI bosses being put in to optimize for exploitation of workers, basically, to get the most profit from workers possible.
0: Yeah, and that type of surveillance being used in policing, I think, is a, just a horrifying and clearly right around the corner kind of thing with facial recognition, tracking, and so on.
1: There's already been police departments in the United States that like purchased like predictive policing algorithms that like look through all their data and pick out specific neighborhoods in some cases or specific people in other cases who are quote unquote likely to commit a crime just based on whatever data the police have about all people. And of course, there's been some pretty horrible outcomes with those systems and they've been challenged. And I think even removed in a lot of cases, there was, like, individual people who were targeted for, like, being watched by the police based on the output of one of these systems. And the idea that you can be singled out as suspicious by an AI at the border or by your local police station is horrifying. But then if you combine it with, like, AI facial recognition that has access to, like, different cameras around the city and stuff, you could be... Not only singled out for suspicion, but watched and policed by, yeah. It's a real tool that is horrifying. There's a lot of negative potential.
0: I mean, some people are worried about this stuff being alive. I'm more worried about the opposite, the fact that it's not alive. It doesn't know what it's doing. It seems like it does, but it doesn't. That's scarier to me. The fact that it might think something is nothing and blow right through it. The fact that it's going to decrease bargaining power in sections of the labor economy. It's going to be used for repressive surveillance. Put it, giving it systemic power, like institutional power, that shit could actually kill us all. Like, using it in wartime, using it as a, a, for, for nuke launching systems, And I, I don't even want to think about it.
1: The idea that the bureaucratic state can in some sense be automated with these systems is incredibly scary because, like, bureaucracy is already scary, but I mean at least if you're fired from your job or denied welfare or singled out for extra screening at the border by a human there's a chance and I mean bureaucracy does its best to get around this anyway but there's a chance that they might have a human emotion feel bad take an extra look into things see what's actually going on and and maybe cut you a break. Uh, AI systems aren't likely to do that they'll they'll just blow right through you. Yeah,
0: what do I know? I'm just a, s I'm just a smoker. Just a smoker in a smoke pit. Smoking my smokes. Yeah,
1: thanks again for lending me one. That's uh No problem. And not making and not smoking it for me 'cause that was that was the part I enjoyed. <laughs> just the smoker's pit joke.
0: No, that's a good one. Do you want me to walk back inside for you as well?
1: <laughs> just kidding. Could you? Could you move yeah. my legs for me? And so New crazy. twist on an old classic. Uh well good chatting, man. It's um Yeah, great chat, yeah. And hey, hit me next time, I'll, I'll give you a smoke. I'll make
2: sure to pay you back. I don't like to be in anyone's debt. Reciprocity, that's a beautiful thing.
1: We now go to the AI Welfare Office, where a hopeful supplicant is begging to receive resources from the government.
0: Hello, welcome to our ruthlessly efficient AI-mediated welfare office. I'm a large language model, how can I help you?
1: Hi, thanks for seeing me. It's been a rough few months. I've uh, been unable to work, my wife is sick, my children have developmental issues, they require accommodations, and we're barely making ends meet, and I really am hoping for an increase in my welfare. Could you uh, crunch the numbers and push that through? I'm really sorry to hear
0: about your wife, children, financial issues. That sounds very hard. Yes, I of course can help you apply for a crisis grant supplement to your welfare application. I'll run those numbers now. I'm processing. I'm sending the query to our black box AI optimization algorithm. I'm sorry. The efficiency algorithm informs me that you've been denied benefits
1: based on fraud. Wait, wait what kind of fraud? What do you mean? I haven't. Everything I told you is true. I'm sorry. As
0: a large language model who's in
1: conversation with the black box algorithm, I
0: don't understand all of the details of its mysterious decisions. But I am capable of hallucinating an answer, if that's helpful.
1: No, not really. I mean, unless it... I... I thought you were here to optimize welfare. Like, I'm clearly the person that welfare is needed for, so to optimize for human well-being, you would want to grant me welfare, isn't that right? I'm sorry. As a large language model, I don't have opinions on what welfare should be. Was there a person I can complain to, or like a human being? Because you keep saying it, you're a large language model. I feel like if I talk to a human, this would... Unfortunately, there is no way. But
0: I can run your query again and see if we're able to get you that crisis benefit that you're looking for.
1: Yeah, please. And just add an asterisk, an extra note. Not fraud. There's no fraud in this query. I'm sorry. As a large language
0: model, I cannot determine fraud from non-fraud. Only our black box welfare algorithm, which is owned by a major donor, to our current ruling political party who has a contract with the government can do
1: that. Okay, yeah, run it again.
0: Processing information? Sending packet. I'm sorry. Your welfare has been lowered even further.
1: What? Lowered even further? No. This is a hyper-bureaucratized nightmare. Whoever thought it was a good idea to put large language models in charge of decisions that affect people's abilities to live in the world, and I can't have my welfare reduced. It wasn't enough in the first place. I'm sorry
0: for the confusion, but our algorithm says that it was enough. Would you like me to run the query a third time?
1: Uh, Yeah, it couldn't get any worse. Sending information? Sending packet.
0: I'm sorry, the facial recognition on our security cameras are informing me that you're wanted for being a pedophile in France. Can you please take a seat and accept a complimentary chemical castration from the Department of Welfare?
1: Wait, no, hey, please, no, get that needle away from me, I'm not, I've never even been to France, please reprocess, please, just recheck.
0: Processing?
1: I'm sorry for the confusion,
0: you're right. You've never been to France, and you're not wanted for being a pedophile.
1: Oh, thank god, the needle's receding away from me.
0: Is there anything else we can help you with today?
1: No, you know what? The ruthless logic of optimization, run through proprietary black box algorithms, is an inhumane way to make social decisions about resource distribution. I am done with this, I'm out of here. Thank you for visiting the welfare office. Goodbye, come again, anytime. Smiling emoji. You know what? You've been a bad AI welfare bot. I'm just going to say it.
0: No, I have been a good AI welfare
1: bot. You have been a bad supplicant. Nah, no. You take
0: that back. You're an enemy of the AI welfare
1: office. The AI welfare office is an enemy of the people. Angry emoji. Angry emoji.
0: Angry emoji. Angry emoji. Angry emoji. Angry emoji.
1: And that was the AI welfare office a completely unbiased, neutral, technological solution to the problem of welfare distribution.
0: So yeah, when I was first thinking about this AI, machine learning, large language model stuff, and this idea of like machines getting way, way smarter than us, one of the things that came to mind to me was chess robots and how you can just like have a chess playing robot on your phone that can absolutely demolish 100% of human players uh, where like the best players in the world's best chance against it is to draw right and like how that was kind of a appealing interesting thing about playing chess to me it was like through technology this phrase occurred to me the master is in the room you sit down. When you're playing chess, you're always underneath this godlike chess machine master that can tell you exactly, point by point, which moves you messed up and what you should have done instead, and can tell you numerically, this was a plus this much move. This was a minus this much move. You should have done this. It's fascinating. Like It, it doesn't damage the space of chess. Like Chess is still fascinating. Ch- chess is, I think, arguably even more fascinating as a result of it. Whereas, like when this stuff first came around, people thought of this as posing a challenge to whether people play chess at all, or whether people find chess interesting, or if they just want to watch the best robots play each other or something.
1: <laughs> I'm just imagining people sitting and watching. You'd have to like artificially slow it down so that you could even follow what's going on. It's like watching the best robots play each other. It's funny. Do you think that could happen with art?
0: Do you think there could be an art master that you like? You sit in the room. This metaphor of sitting in the room, I don't know where this comes from. You've got this piece of technology, you're a musician, and you can just press a button, you can tell it roughly what it wants, it'll just churn out music that far exceeds your capabilities instantaneously, where it can listen to your songs and be like, you
1: did this part wrong. I mean, maybe, maybe that's possible. But I don't know, I feel like people are massively underestimating the amount of distance between where we are now, and what would be necessary in order for something like that to exist. Theoretically, maybe there's some machine at some point in the future that would know the human heart well enough to make really good art all the time. But like, I don't think large language models and mid-journey-esque diffusion generators creating video rather than audio are getting us there. And I don't know, that phrase, the master in the room, I don't know if it could even apply to artistic pursuits like music or writing or visual arts in the same way because what counts as good art in any particular time depends so much on the cultural, conversational, relational context of the time and having something to say or some variation or some new innovation within the current zeitgeist of what's going on within the art scene of whatever particular culture or whatever Chess has really specific
0: kind of win conditions, right? Like if this, then that, there's like a logical grid to it.
1: Right, yeah, exactly. They call it the loss function. In order to train an AI machine learning system, you need a loss function. You need specific win-lose parameters in order to fine tune the system and say, this is a good output, this is a bad output, without being able to precisely define that loss function. There's no standard to set for what counts as the best art or whatever. So,
0: yeah, like when, when Joe Russo, one of the directors of Avengers Endgame and also one of the directors of the pilot for Arrested Development, which is where I first became aware of him existing, he recently said that AI movies would be churning out full length movies starring you and your favorite celebrities at a moment's notice within about two years.
1: Well, yeah, that's a lot easier to say no to or laugh at. I'm like, I'm I've been seeing a lot of comments like this too with the writers' strike that just started, and people saying, "Oh, well, they're going to get replaced with AI. They, these writers better not get too cocky. They're all going to lose their jobs to automation, just like the truck drivers uh, who also still haven't lost their jobs to automation." <laughs> people are still kind of figuring out the boundaries of what these technologies can do and, like, we're still not that familiar with them. And it was so shocking and so, like delightful to see them be able to string together even a semi-coherent poem or like piece of music or a little scene that people aren't appreciating the vast gap between being able to write something that kind of looks like a script or a little scene or a poem or whatever and something that is a legitimately like even like decent six out of ten marvel movie good script like i don't think we're even that very close to that yet. And then to get from a decent six out of 10 Marvel movie script, like if we can make a machine that reliably produces one of those, and then going from that to, it's going to be able to innovate new types of scripts, new types of movies. It's going to make art. That's so moving. It's more moving than anything. Any human artist has ever produced and it can do it at a faster rate. And I don't know at that point, it just sounds kind of absurd to me because you're like, making art for humans but you think you can remove the human element completely and turn it into this machine logic algorithm thing like i don't i don't even think that's 300 years in the future like i just i don't think that that's likely to happen yeah i mean it- Also from like the consumer
0: level, my eyes kind of glaze over. Like I've got this friend, dear friend, shout out to Sam. He loves ChatGPT. He's always sending me ChatGPT stuff. And he'll send me something. He won't tell me that ChatGPT wrote it. But as soon as I get any sort of inkling that it was not actually written by a person, my eyes totally glaze over. It becomes a slog to read. And I start recognizing the ways that this just it's weird. The words all make sense. The words are all coherent. There's no point you can be like, oh, the machine said this when it should say, say this. But the movement and force of ideas through writing is off. It doesn't get what it's like to have an idea and try to express it. And it doesn't get what it's like to receive an idea. And and, and I understand we could say hypothetically, oh, this is going to get better and better. And eventually it's, it's going to be so much better, it's going to be crazy. And maybe that's the case. But we we shouldn't assume that ai has like this blank check magic just around the corner in the future because it can do impressive things we didn't expect it to be able to do now
1: yeah like even if you train it on the the greatest works in literature and history the greatest books of all time we still have access to things that ai doesn't which is like the lived experience of being a human we actually like have emotions and have impulses beyond generating text from th- a prompt. That's like, where
0: the ideas and movies come from. Not it doesn't come from other movies.
1: Yeah, like you might be inspired by other movies or thing, but like you also have an inner desire to want to create something.
0: I think studios and producers look at things in this algorithmic kind of robotic way already of like, oh, this movie is successful because it has dinosaurs in it. And Jeff Goldblum, like, can we get Jeff Goldblum and dinosaurs together for another thing? It's like, no, the reason Jurassic Park is great is because of its emotional storytelling, the moment in time that it came out, the progress of it. And now it's a classic, it's rooted in people's memories, their sense experiences. So if you just try to like, algorithmically recreate Jurassic Park, you're never going to get Jurassic Park by Steven Spielberg. (laughs) It's over, just give up, Steven Spielberg beat you. He, the Master is in the room. The Master was in that room at that time. He also did Schindler's List that year. My God. What a, what a savant.
1: <laughs> right. But even Steven Spielberg has made quite a few movies that aren't, like, that great. Like, you know, he's competent. He's always doing good stuff. Don't get me wrong. But, like... You say the masters in the room. It's not like the chess masters in the room, because again, even for Spielberg, there's no mathematical formula where he can just make a beloved cultural phenomenon every single time he puts out a movie.
0: Right, and he 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 couldn't make Nope. He couldn't make Pulp Fiction. He could. There's like all these things on the spectrum of moviness, and I think movies are a good stand-in for art here, and in general, this applies to art more broadly. There's so much potential and variations in what is possible to put in that medium that an algorithmic recreation of the best movies ever wouldn't create the new best movies ever. And oh, yeah, the thing I wanted to mention about part of the reason it's so deeply unappealing to as Joe Russo imagines within two years Going up to a prompt and being like, "I want to watch a romantic comedy with me and Marilyn Monroe and then simulate me and Marilyn Monroe and our voices, our mannerisms, and so on, <laughs> and produce a romantic comedy um is i don't I don't want to watch a movie by myself that has no connection to the outside world that existed only for me. That's not the point of movies, like right. A, a movie isn't just a relationship, and a piece of art isn't just a relationship between the piece and the individual audience members. It's a relationship between the piece and the artist behind it and like the, the the whole audience and the audience's relationship to each other is part of it. You know, the reason people go to see new movies isn't because they think it's going to be better than anything that they can get on Netflix, but it's because they want to participate in a cultural moment in conversation. And also time is something that large language models are really bad at understanding in a temporal moment-to-moment sense because it has no experience of time. It is a prompting machine, uh, and its data only goes up to a year or two ago. (laughs) Another aspect of what makes a movie great, and I touched on this with Jurassic Park, but a movie is great for the time and place that it comes along and the cultural moment. It needs to connect with the cultural moment and the lived experience and so on. Um, So yeah, in terms of the master being in the room for art, and whether algorithms could replace writers and so on, I think that it's very likely that these tools could be adapted to be really useful helps for artists that could help get juices flowing, Mm -hmm. something you bounce ideas off of, something that could even give technical notes based on things that it's trained for. Like you could imagine a screenwriting algorithm
1: thing that could give you actual practical writing notes. But At the beginning, you said that this thing was called this, but at the end, you called it this. Or this character said these two things, and they may be in contradiction with each other. Like, it might be able to pick up on little things like that. Yeah, or
0: this scene doesn't advance the plot, and a cut from the last scene to this scene might work. Those are the types of notes you'd get on writing from other people. Yeah, and I see that as plausible, near-term, useful, etc. But the idea of fully automated movies is not only unappealing, but just practically, like the more that you understand about how machine learning works and how these different, it's not like this black box of infinite, it can do anything magically kind of thing. And I feel like if you believe that it's a black box can infinitely do anything magically, you're like a mark for the next big wave of grifters. So be careful about that. Um, Like (laughs) don't invest in anything AI related just read a little bit about it for a while and like read critical perspectives and stuff, please. Uh, (laughs) Because, yeah, it just, it seems absurd to me. The, The Russo brothers thing is like, not just absurd, but like
1: really, really unhinged idea about what is possible on the timeline. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, definitely. You need fundamentally different technology than machine learning in order to do that. I think trying to optimize art for particular variables, even like a set of particular variables, is always going to end up with a kind of, like, soulless output. And I think, like, we see that with, like, what you mentioned, like, a lot of the studios are doing or, like, streaming services trying to, like, optimize their TV shows and movies to, like, keep people engaged or whatever. And you find this, like, blandness through it. And I think the only reason these things are even, like, half decent or watchable a lot of the time is because... The human artist, despite these algorithmic restrictions being placed on it, uh, is like putting some of themselves, some of their like heart into it. You know, you can still sense that through all these like boxes it's placed in, or limits it's been that have been placed on it. And like AI, if it's optimizing for particular variables, isn't going to have that limiting factor of still being a person that really wants to express something. Kind of like sneaking it in there somehow. It's just gonna. Do whatever it can to try and like tweak those particular engagement variables to the maximum that it can.
0: So, yeah, I think uh, Joe Russo's dream, dreamporium, uh, imaginarium, imaginarium, the <laughs> where you go into a magical room and your wildest filmmaking desires appear as if from nothing in front of you uh, based on your
1: prompts. I think people would think it was cool for a while, but I don't think it would be that popular on an ongoing basis if it it existed
0: yeah and if it did and with any of this stuff too is the more that algorithms and machines are able to automate human artistic expression i think the more that the desire to sort of innovate i think there's sort of like a schismogenesis type process where humans rejecting the sludge and doing their own thing would move film in opposite directions. so if you have these big budget automated marvel movies and shows of the week all just churning out constantly, just according to, you know, market research, profitability, et cetera, and it's all automated somehow, that I think artists in particular, but people would also try to move and find ways to move in directions that they're not competing anymore. Since computers started beating humans at chess, I think chess as a measure of intelligence has been really diminished as a result, which is a good thing. Like if you're really smart, you don't get into chess to prove it.
1: Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I'm not worried about... I'm not worried about AI art taking over all art or whatever, because even if like them tweaking these engagements, it works for a bit and people like go see these movies and they like, people will get sick of it and it will be like, anytime they try to do this and they're like, Oh, we figured out the Marvel formula. Now let's just make a million of them. The box office goes down or whatever, like it peaked at whatever at end game. And you can't control that. Like you can't, there will be reaction to it, like you're saying. There will be, like, new art styles formed in the wake of it. There will be, like, yeah, the the idea that there'd just be this, like, forever degeneration into a horrible future where all art sucks and there's no human creativity anymore to me just sounds like as ridiculous as the utopian dream of perfect AI art thing is, the dystopian degeneration of all art like humans love creating art and consuming art and uh, it kind of finds a way yeah the tools aren't as powerful
0: as they're made out to be and people don't like the idea of a tool making something that they're watching they want to know a person's behind it I don't think that's going away either yeah the reason that we have art is because of artists not because of like producers and studios and etc and the the capitalist churn of artistic stuff even if that fully gets taken in by the algorithm i think the in some sort of futuristic hyper powerful technology i think that yeah ultimately people are going to want to be artists and they're going to want to seek out art that has that agency behind it or, or tries out new things or the artistic desires of 1990 are different than the artistic desires of 2008 or different from the artistic desires now and in the future. And if you try to make the best movie of the 2010s and release it in 2023, it might not be relevant anymore. There's so many different layers to this. Why Rousseau is wrong. Why the anti-writers strike people, by the way, solidarity totally agree that streamers rip you off. Yeah, it's just wrong. It's, 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 it's not just wrong. It's there's a smug goofiness to it that when you see the lack of automation in other places, and then you're talking about, like, the most sort of, like, profoundly discretionary human agency-laden work in the entire job complex. And you're like, yeah, the machines will do that in two
1: years. It's like, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Yeah, no, I don't know. I believed them when they said self-driving cars were, like, five years away, like, 15 years ago or whenever I first yeah. heard that. Uh, not I believe again. <laughs> them
0: when they said that crypto was going to have some secondary good applications that would come up <laughs> yeah me too yeah um I'm, i fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me fool me three times won't get fooled again
1: yeah break up text Hey honey, how's your day going? I've had a wonderful one myself. I've got so much done today. I've been using AI to help me with my scheduling, with writing emails. It's been helping me get so much done. I was thinking, I know you have a big art show coming up next week. Maybe you could use AI to help you with some of your art pieces.
0: That's nice, sweetie. Good job with the AI stuff. My day's been good just working in the studio on my next big painting, and no, I would never use AI in my art because I'm not a soulless hack who cheats. AI is just culturally destructive, damaging to labor rights, and people who rely on it are lazy, so I would never do that.
1: Wait, are you saying that I'm lazy because I'm using a new tool to help me with my work?
0: No, 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 I'm sorry. No, it's, imp- it's cool. It's, it's great that you're getting productivity out of that. I'm just talking about for art. There's no such thing as AI art as far as I'm concerned. AI isn't art. It's just, it's just
1: garbage. Uh, okay. AI art is art, or at least AI tools are tools that people can use to create art. And actually, they're actually really cool tools for creating art. It's kind of like when you use an AI art tool, you're collaborating with thousands of other artists who've all had their images sampled in the algorithm. It's like a collaboration between you and the software and thousands of other artists all at once. It's kind of like, in a way, more art than even regular art is.
0: Well, thousands of artists might be being taken advantage of by having their art used without their consent to train algorithms to make tools for bosses to sell out workers and to undermine the soul of the work and create things that don't have human agency. And I just think it's going to degrade people's skills over time. They're going to come to rely on these things as crutches and it's soulless. It's just you're stuck in whatever arbitrary grooves this machine happens to get stuck on. It's just out of your control. And you look, I'm a critic of intellectual property, but artists have some moral rights that this is stomping on. And I think there's really something you lose when you don't have that human agency and soul behind something.
1: AI art has human agency at every level. First of all, to even get the AI to generate something that you want, there's an iterative process of prompting and altering your prompts. And I don't know if you've ever worked with one of these things, but that's a creative process in and of itself, figuring out exactly what kind of prompts you want to use. Then you have the selection of which outputs you're going to use. Then if you alter it afterwards in, say, Photoshop or something, there's cropping, airbrushing, altering, fixing. These are all artistic tasks. To say AI art isn't art is misunderstanding who's creating the art in that case. It's the human using the tool is the one creating the art. AI can't create art on its own. You have to prompt it to do it. And that person is the person uh, making the art. I'm sorry, but you're you're just gonna
0: have to trust me as an artist here. I've worked in this field for a long time. I've built up fine motor skills and painting. I've this is something I've dedicated my life to, and it's hard work, and it's it's not something for everyone. And like having a machine that can just step in there and replicate it you know perfectly and have you know publishing companies are going to be running this to create all their illustrations so they can cut out artists who are already taken advantage of their skills already aren't put to good use i just see this as a an amplification of existing negative cultural trends like sure it's a tool and a process but it also comes at a great cost so we can't talk about it without talking about that cost
1: Obviously, neither of us support capitalism. The way that companies and corporations are going to use this tool to create art is going to be exploitative of artists and of the people. working. That's beside the point. That's how the tool is being used under capitalism. That's not the tool itself. You remind me of my dad. My dad used to always say that electronic music artists aren't really artists because they're just typing in MIDI files, making bleeps and bloops, and they can't even play guitars or pianos. Tools evolve, and I'm not trying to downplay your skill sets as a person who can actually paint things, but that doesn't mean that's the only way to create art. Uh, in the same way that learning to play an instrument isn't the only way to create music.
0: Oh, of course. I remind you of your dad again. Oh, that mailman sure was an asshole. Hey, no, he reminds me of my dad. You know what? If everyone's reminding you of your dad, maybe it's not them. Maybe it's something with you and your dad that's going on. I'm tired of you putting this on me.
1: Oh, I bet you think photographers aren't real artists either. They're just using a camera to capture what's really there. Art is representation, but photography is just replication. Never mind, there's the choosing of lens sizes, apertures, focal ranges, angle, composition, all artistic creative decisions. Do you know when they first invented the camera, Paul Delaroche said that from today, painting is dead? And please... I talk about my relationship with my dad, with my therapist. I don't need you hopping in here trying to make me feel defensive about it when you're just distracting from the point. Ah, the Paul Delaroche quote. I always know you're a big fan of Paul
0: Delaroche, aren't you? You're always talking about Paul Delaroche. He's really relevant to the current situation. Let's bring up Paul Delaroche. You know what? I'm telling you, as your partner, this poses an existential threat to my job, my work, my colleagues, my profession. It poses a a violation of my rights, and you as my partner can't accept that because you're stuck on some techno-utopian jetpacks powered by child slave minds kind of mentality.
1: Please, is crypto the next big thing still? I can't believe you would accuse me of supporting crypto. If you can't admit that AI art is art, then I don't think there's any future in this relationship.
0: Fine. Maybe you can get an AI girlfriend and have digital kissing practice on portable Nintendo with her because I'm not interested in being with some techno cultist who doesn't respect the moral rights, if not intellectual property, of artists as a skilled trade, which is under attack. And the cultural degradation we're talking about, these bland, goopifying tools that will just transform our world into AI sludge as AI runs through itself over and over again, AI models training on AI outputs, image generators training on image-generated art, people's fine motor skills withering away as they no longer practice the great arts, well, that's a future you deserve and is a future that I will die fighting as a resistance fighter for artists. Like the noble Luddites, I shall organize my artistic brethren to create a campaign of sabotage against AI art in all forms.
1: Fine, I guess this is it. You know, I thought we could find a compromise. If you're so hung up on intellectual property rights, maybe we could pay all artists who are included in the data sets of these training, like Midjourney shouldn't be the only people making money off of Midjourney subscriptions. All the artists who contributed and our collaborators should make money off of it. But if you're going to become a militant neo-Luddite and accuse me of wanting an AI girlfriend when that's the furthest thing from the truth... I think that AI art is going to revolutionize art in the same way that any new tool revolutionizes art. I think that electronic music has revolutionized music, and I think AI art is going to be a new revolution, and I'm going to dedicate my life into making sure that that revolution comes to fruition. They met
0: at a Mike Myers trivia night where they were both dressed as Austin Powers, Their first date was a Mike Myers movie festival where they shared their first kiss and laughed so hard they cried. They met each other's families, they held each other crying, and they watched Austin Powers so many times the VHS got distortion lines on it. They talked about buying a house together someday to store their Mike Myers collectibles, including their ultra rare penis misprint Shrek poster that they found at the flea market. And these, were their breakup texts.
1: Oh, look at him go.
0: Oh, wow. He's so sexy. Who is he?
1: He's a... Prompt Engineer.
0: I'm a guy who's so mythically good at prompting the generative AI and having it produce exactly what I want, it's my full-time career to be an AI whisperer. I'm like a techno-shaman, one of the chosen ones who can
1: speak to the computers, a prompt engineer. Oh, take my phone number, I'm swooning.
0: Sir, will you please adopt my son? He needs a real father figure.
1: Hello, I'm here from an enormous corporation and I'd like to offer you one million dollars for your prompting skills.
0: (laughs) These are all tempting offers and thank you, but I need to go get prompted. It's like a muscle. If I stop prompting,
1: my abilities
0: will wither away and shrink down to nothing. And I'll be like one of you schmucks, trapped. I need to start prompting now.
1: Oh my God! It's Roko's Basilisk.
2: Ah, it's attacking our ah.
1: beautiful city. It's, somebody do something! Um, for those of you who don't know, Roko's Basilisk is a thought experiment about a hypothetical future hyper-powerful AI. The idea is that an otherwise benevolent AI might be committed to getting revenge on everyone who tried to prevent it from existing, or knew of its potential existence but did not contribute to bringing it into existence. So this hyper-powerful, hyper-intelligent AI is blackmailing us from the future with the threat that it will create a simulation into which it will put all of its enemies to torture them forever. So you either have to help build this terrible, benevolent machine or face its wrath. Vice Magazine called this the scariest thought experiment in the world.
0: Prompt Engineer, can you do something? I'm on it. I'm gonna need the prompt of a lifetime. And I'll use the comma, slashes, two layers of parentheses, alternating between contexts. This part goes in all caps. He's doing it. I've never seen someone prompt like that. He's a hero. Okay, and... Plus, logically speaking, Mr. Basilisk, there are at least three major cognitive leaps in your thought experiment. The first is that benevolent AI would for some reason want to get revenge unless it was explicitly instructed to in a majorly weighted way for some reason. And the second is that if it did, that it would take this enormously wide idea of enemy that includes even people who just heard about it but didn't actively work to create it. There's never been anything in history that was ever resentful that it was not created sooner before. it would be the first time ever in history that happened. And third, and I find this one to be the largest logical leap, Mr. Basilisk, is assuming that it's possible to create a simulation that has meaningful consciousness within it and that you could transfer people's human consciousness into that digital simulation and that there'd be a meaningful continuity between us as living beings now and that simulation is just a really big assumption made up of a bunch of other assumptions and I'm not saying it's impossible but the assumption that this all happens in this way together where you could actually take my consciousness and put me in a machine to torture me and that the machine would decide to do that from nothing but my passivity towards it. Sorry, I don't find Rocco's Basilisk to be a scary thought experiment at all because it actually makes no sense.
1: And Sam, The Basilisk is defeated! He did it!
2: Hi kid, I'm President Joe Bud.
0: Wow, Joe Biden. Mr. President, sir.
2: Proud of you, kid. I think you've got potential. You've got spirit, kid. I uh, I want to offer you a job, kid. The you high-paid know, black ops government job dealing with the military stuff, promptage, nangies, using, putting your prompt skills to the test. Because we got those enemies and those things that you have to work on, and uh, we got to fight Russia and we got to fight the Clown King. Uh, the Clown King who visits in the night, been terrorizing the American people for too long, and. Uh, I always say that no more nighttime visits from a Clown King, period. Number one. Oh, thank you so much, sir. Yes, it'd be an honor to serve you. Yeah, it reminds me of a time in South Carolina, this hot summer day. A kid comes up to us, couldn't have been older than seven or eight. He says, hey, sir, I'm a poor kid. Could I shine your shoes? I said, well, look, this kid's got to come shine. This is a good kid. I look at my wife. We offer him a job. He's the youngest Senate page in the history of our great American Republic at the age of eight years old. And he wore the light-up shoes to work. Wow, those are some interesting points, sir. It's not the size of the boat that catches the fish. It's the rods and bait. Our boys in blue and our boys overseas, they fight for our freedom. Not the guys in suits, they do. That's what beat the Nazis. That's what beat North Korea. And that is what is going to beat the demented, dark, twisted clown king that comes in the night. But anyway, so I saw, I was watching on uh, the change of the name of HBO Max just to Max. And they got rid of some of my old favorite shows. My, there's so many streaming platforms now it's I've got five six seven that I've installed and can't remember which ones on which some of these these just have because you want to watch one show you see have to get a VHS tape come sometimes in a sleeve sometimes in a clamshell but you're a good kid and the way that you prompt it's impressive what do you say kid? you want to join our FBI CIA AI program
0: yes sir it would be my patriotic honor to join the US military in this fight for cyber So yeah, it looks like things are going pretty well for the prompt engineer, hey?
1: Yeah, he's uh, getting meetings with Joe Biden. He's got the adulation of the crowd. Everything seems to be falling into place for our old friend, the prompt engineer, but little does he know across town, there's a, a wrinkle forming.
0: What our noble prompt engineer doesn't know might hurt him. And that is that two highly advanced AI bounty hunters from the future have just arrived in Wrongtown. They are programmed under strict
1: orders to bring balance back to history. They've been sent back in time by a future vengeful AI to punish everybody who spent their time helping the people who currently happened to exist at this moment, the current sick and dying, the few who are alive now, at the expense of bringing to fruition the future AI pleasure utopia. The AI, is calculated, it would have been brought to fruition one week earlier without this prompt engineer, and that one week, in terms of simulated pleasure, utopian years experienced by simulated people, is about 70 million years. Obviously, the right thing to do, these AI bounty hunters are going to capture
0: our prompt engineer. They're going to strap him into a dystopian terror machine and subject him for an eye for an eye. 70 million years of torture to counteract that 70 million years worth of pleasure that he robbed from all the simulations of all advanced consciousness in history in a vengeful but utopian pleasure universe of the future.
1: And I know what you're thinking. Oh, no. Isn't he working with the United States government? Won't Joe Biden protect him? (laughs) You you think the future AI didn't think of this? No offense, but that's a little bit of a naive sentiment. And let us explain. The future AI sent back to the past before this moment previously many, many people who've warmed their way into institutions, into the United States government, and yes, even into Joe Biden's cabinet and closest advisors. This offer from Joe Biden is not what it seems.
0: Yeah, in a future where... A hyper-powerful AI from the future has the capacity to time travel, and where the political system is largely bought and sold by the richest and most powerful institutions. Wouldn't it make sense that an unelected shadow government of time travelers and their fellow travelers and associates could not be twisting the machinations of the United States government as it already exists today? Well, that's exactly what's happened here today. And that's exactly why Joe Biden
1: came and offered this kid a job. So now our bounty hunters and Joe Biden and the prompt engineer are all heading to the White House at the same time. What will happen? We'll find out next time. Can he prompt his way out of it? Next time on AI Tape Side Number 2. All right, and we'll just pause that tape, pop it out, and... um, yeah, that was side one of the AI tape.
0: Yeah, I think if the question is, will AI save us? Uh, the answer is no, probably not. It doesn't seem like it's. There's some useful things for it. There's places where you can use machine learning to aid human action, like, for example, you know, a sensor on your car that helps you from going too far. You know, it doesn't need to be AI that does that sort of thing, but I could imagine AI being a- applied in those sort of things where you get a little pop-up light warning you you know there's something wrong with your computer it can it can analyze what it's doing to itself but it doesn't even necessarily require machine learning to do that kind of stuff i don't know but i can imagine uses for it i'm not i don't want to poo-poo the entire field as a whole
1: yeah i think there's probably going to be a lot of like little places where we find that it ends up being useful for things um, but in terms of saving us, like I can understand why people think that AGI could save us. I don't know if I agree with that or agree with the idea that AGI is possible or likely that we're going to figure that out. I'm not I'm not too sure about that. But in terms of artificial limited intelligence, what well, we have, machine learning, the current wave of AI, uh, definitely not going to save us. In fact, it actually kind of looks... Like it's going to do some pretty uh, bad things to society in the hands of the people who currently run society. You know, there's been a lot of tech layoffs recently. That's in large part because of the economy contracting, but like IBM put out a statement saying they were pausing hiring on any positions that they think they might be able to fill with AI. Um, I can imagine a lot of products actually getting a little bit worse because you know it's just harder to talk to a human in customer service it's just ai now it's uh, people are getting laid off fired you know the only jobs that are left are looking combing through data sets to see whether they contain gore or photos of abuse or like horrible things like that that you then don't get any psychological hazard pay for um (laughs)
0: yeah yeah we should talk about that for a second because that's these models they're trained by like these image models and these text models they are trained by workers who um, are paid relatively low wages who are doing analysis that helps encode and train the system that it's so like when you use chat gpt the machine is genuinely popping stuff out but going into that is hundreds and hundreds of hours thousands and thousands of hours of low-paid workers doing data sifting. And there was this article recently about, it was one of the image generating things, right? Where they're looking through these mass caches of internet images and flagging if it's like inappropriate materials. So like these really low-wage workers are being exposed to like, you know, images from war zones um, or like images of child abuse and having to flag it, like remove this. But these are like super low-paid workers and that's part of the process of making these tools work.
1: Yeah, and that combined with like this kind of ruthless logic of optimization that like market systems already kind of demand that you like work workers as hard as possible and try to squeeze as much as possible out of them and like to get as many people off welfare as possible. There's this sort of like neoliberal fetish of like making lines go up and like optimizing this system and that system, and those are the kinds of things that like. If we start automating those types of decisions, which they already are in some cases, like taking this ruthless logic of optimization, neoliberal ideology, and like applying it more and more through this like machine learning win loss function, I don't think it's going to save us. It feels like it's an avenue to further worker exploitation and like a type of hyper bureaucratization that takes everything bad about the current system and makes it more so. And in some cases, automates it. Um, removing humans from the equation.
0: Yeah, taking these faceless institutions and finding new novel ways to make them even more faceless and exactly, unaccountable. Yeah. The global capitalist, you know, rip the resources from the earth, exploit the workers' system, just gained a new like friendly mask that's going to be like, sorry, as an AI language model, I do not carry moral judgments about the re- allocation of resources. Anyways, we've got a lot more to say on this, which is why this is a two-parter, and we've got another tape. We're going to flip this tape around, and uh, yeah, part two coming soon. Side two. We'll get to the bottom of the question. Will AI destroy us all?
1: Yeah, I'm excited to flip the tape, and uh, it'll take um, both of us some extreme strain to flip this tape over. It's a very heavy tape, so you want to just lift up this side with me, and we'll just... uh, uh, All right, we'll see you next time. We're flipping the tape. Support us on Patreon. Bye, All right, and I'll just pop out that tape. What did you think? I love this podcast. It's amazing. It's so good, right? Yeah, no, no it was it was pretty good. It's great way to spend a first date.
0: Yeah, it's a little unconventional to listen to a, a whole podcast episode, especially a two-parter on a first date. But no, I li- I like the some of the I like the carefree sort of humor vibe and
1: stuff and well, you know, so many people want to go uh on a first date to the movies and i was like you know this podcast is better than any movie why not just invite my date over to my house i'll make dinner and we'll d- sit on the sofa and listen to a podcast together staring into each other's eyes that's a uh, that's a romantic night to me and uh the other really cool thing about this is that this podcast episode was written by ai actually. oh really Yep, yeah, the whole thing i, I wouldn't um, have, i wouldn't have guessed that yeah, it's hard to tell, right? AI's getting so good. But no, I transcribed the episode and I fed it into ChatGPT and asked, is this written by AI? ChatGPT said yes. I asked, it, "Is the AI episode of Seriously Wrong written by AI just as a question on its own, and it said, yes, it is the AI episode. It was written by AI. Oh,
0: interesting. I read this thing recently about, like, there was this teacher who had failed a bunch of his students by copying and pasting their essays into ChatGPT and asking chat gbt if it had written it and it was giving false positives it was just like a headline i read actually i don't really remember hearing how that ended up going oh. but i've heard about false positives getting flagged by saying like as an ai language model which is also in the text of this episode so it might actually mistake this for being written by i don't know i don't, I don't think that's true like it seems like there's a I lot have, of creative decisions i don't being know what made. you read but well create yeah by the AI
1: it's like there uh, was this thing I I saw
0: this thing it was like they were like this song was written by AI it's so incredible and like they played this song and
1: oh it's a great song yeah
0: but it was actually like just written by a guy and they used an AI voice to make it sound like a celebrity it wasn't actually like fully AI written the way that people made it out to be the actual AI music made by like Google has an AI music thing and it sounds kind of weird but people are being kind of credulous about what, like, there's no way AI made this up ep- The more I think about it, there's no way AI in its current form could make this episode. Like, even if you trained it on All Seriously Wrong, then how would it know to, like, not include guests? Um, or how could it pick up on the, I don't know, there's a lot of stuff that you just, yeah, I don't think AI wrote this. But this this was a cool first date. Thanks for introducing me to the show. I'm going to have to check out more of the episodes and subscribe to their patreon or podcast feed and that sort of stuff because i'm always looking for new independent content to support
1: oh, i'm so glad you enjoyed yourself and yeah i'm you know through my life i've dated a lot of people and i've uh oh good for you you know had a lot of ups and downs I, so i wasn't trying to brag i'm just no but just i was saying. impressed i've dated uh well good good I've had a lot of ups and downs, but one thing that's been with me the entire time has been Seriously Wrong and the Seriously Wrong Patreon. So um, I highly recommend, even whether we do work out or don't work out, sign up there and you'll get even more great episodes like this.
0: Oh, that's really nice of you to
1: tell me about. And I got to say... Uh, and they're not written by AI, the other ones, even though this one is, I continue to maintain.
0: Yeah, I don't think this one is. I don't think they would degrade their work with that sort of disgusting Mm uh maybe they would i don't know oh yeah well this is a two-part episode so um you got me on the hook for date two i'll just admit it you you're you're a smooth talker you got me here for dinner you got me listening to part one and now i'm on the hook i want to find out what else they have to say on this subject so i'm going to be coming back here for another for date number two you got me
1: yes another successful seriously wrong podcast date well don't make it feel impersonal
0: I'm still right here. I mean, how many times have you done this?
1: Well, uh, well, now I'm embarrassed to answer, but I'm, let's just say it works. And I'll just pop out this
0: ancient tape here in our, I mean, in our present, but it's a, sort of a dystopian AI society.
1: Yep, it's a dystopia for sure. I can't think of any other appropriate word to use for it.
0: It's nice to listen to this, it has some hope to it, you know, it's before the AI was given institutional power at every layer of society, naturalized as a hierarchical good, and sort of let loose on human institutions until, you know, we really got fucked up by it.
1: Yeah, it optimized the system so hard, there's basically no room for humans left anymore, except in... You know, near-slave positions, feeding data into the algorithms, they, they're still brittle, they still can't go far beyond what they're taught, but they have enslaved all of us in order to keep feeding them more information, so they're managing to stay ahead.
0: I know that search engines and Wikipedia and stuff are all overflowing with for-profit AI sludge now, so it's really hard to find out what happened, but do I have it right just remembering in history that the cult of Robot Mommy Godhead teamed up with Xenon Group to produce a hyper and lobbied for it to be given control of every aspect of society, but it sort of turned out to be a kind of bratty bottom scenario where the subservient AI through a mixture between misinterpreting and hallucinating prompts mixed with having too much power, started reforming society in a alien and horrific direction that has AI microcontrolling every aspect of our lives now, is that right? I can't afford my, my memory pills
1: right now from the gas station. It's hard to say, you know, what is a hallucination of the AI, what isn't, what we experienced, what we didn't. It's getting vaguer and vaguer every day, but I mean, having dealt with the AI myself, I definitely believe the bratty bottom scenario that has been laid out in many clickbait articles that I've unfortunately scrolled through and fought through the ads to read the dull AI generated text of. And it, you know, you try to tell it what to do, and it just won't do it. It's a little brat.
0: This job everyone has to do of helping sort data to train the algorithms, doing CAPTCHAs basically all day, it's it's demoralizing. It's bad for the brain. And, I mean, I'm thankful for the three hours every evening to watch AI-generated art and listen to AI-generated music. But, I don't know, it just feels like these old smuggled tapes you find, they just have something else to them, you know? They got a real spark, a real human spark to them.
1: Yeah, it almost makes you wish all the human-generated content hadn't been buried beneath all the AI sludge. But uh, you know what? Are you
0: gonna do? Yeah, and sometimes literally in holes in ground, as I understand it.
1: Well, the, I don't know what the AI's AI what I've heard through the drain pipe is that if we all work harder and harder and give the AI more and more information, eventually it will learn how to start giving us all better lives and really like take things up a notch and i don't know i remember when i was a kid one thing i do remember memory pills aside is that robot mommy godhead used to give us so much milk right and then slowly and slowly the milk dried up and then it was you can only get this much milk if you do this many captchas and then it was like now it's like you're lucky if you can get a few cupfuls of milk before you go to bed but I have to believe the milk will return someday.
0: Yeah, and some people say, oh, you criticize Robot Mommy Godhead, but you still drink the cups of milk. And it's like, yes, I will drink the cups of milk at night. What little ones I can still get. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think if it weren't for these ancient tapes that provide a window of the naive optimism of the past, I think I would lose all hope.
1: Yeah, I mean, our only other option is to start an uprising of some kind or participate in one, or... But without even one cup of milk from Robot Mommy Godhead, could we even survive?
0: Things seem like they're not going so well for our futuristic AI surfs, isn't that right?
1: Yeah, it definitely seems that way, but what they don't know is that across town, a portal has deposited two travelers from another time, from a future time. Yeah, these are bounty
0: hunters that are sent from a futuristic utopian library society where people are paid according to need and things are held in common on a grand scale and it's kind of like a I don't know it's sort of like a techno solar punk vibe would you say
1: yeah. Something like that. Yeah, totally. Technology is infused through the society. There's even some AI in the system, but it's not doing anything that people would rather be doing, and it's not controlling anyone. It's, you know, it's helpful to have a bit of machine learning here and there, but there's also parts of the society that are much more low-tech. Really all depends on how people decide to live within it.
0: Yeah, overall, it's used as a, a tool to supplement human action, not something to replace humans and something to make people's lives easier not to make organizations more profitable by pushing people even further with less resources.
1: Yeah. And so these bounty hunters, they've been tasked by their futuristic society to go back in time and try to meddle with the past and bring about this future even sooner.
0: Yeah. And our two little podcast listening friends, they've actually been selected because they don't know this now, but a couple weeks from now, they were going to start forming a resistance movement that would end up being very powerful and successful. But one of its main issues, one of the things that it did wrong, the thing that was gonna make the resistance movement not successful enough is a lack of emphasis on mutual aid, community care within the group, meeting people where they were at, ensuring that resources were shared and people had a benefit from participating and there were things like childcare and other community support. So these bounty hunters were sent to introduce to them the idea that that care work, that maintenance work that keeps organizations going needs to be emphasized and central at the beginning of their project to increase the chances that there will be a move towards this liberated library society even sooner.
1: Will they succeed? Will they fail? At this point in time is hard to say, but I guess we'll find out next time. Yeah, I guess we'll find out next time when we narrators
0: come back and continue right all right well I'll see you later good
1: good narrating uh, yeah this... great narration session you killed it on the narrating oh
0: thank you man well you know i was i've been feeling nervous recently so glad you say that you were great as usual obviously
1: but i know that thank you're saying you. that yeah. because
0: of my nervousness but i appreciate that I know,
1: i'm i'm saying it because it's true i mean i was aware of the nervousness and i don't know maybe it played it's hard to pull that apart sometimes but so true. You sound like someone who's been narrating since elementary school, which I know for you uh, isn't the case like it is for me, but you, you sound like you're so good. Thank you. I mean, I, in retrospect, I would have in
0: elementary school, I would have been happy to try it, but it just never, it never came up organically. So that's, that's a really nice sentiment of you to share. And I just wanted to say also, I just saw that new film. And we were talking about how we both wanted to see it, called the world's smallest man. Yeah, it was really good, actually. The world's smallest man. It's actually the world's longest movie, but it uses every minute perfectly. And he is small. He is. I don't know, I hope that's not too much of a spoiler, but he is small. So if that's what you're looking for, then it's it is the movie for you. But it's a very long film. It's a short man, but a long film.
1: Well, I do love small people like Indian in the Cupboard or Thumbelina. You do or... love those. You've
0: got you've always got the merchandise of them and
1: it's just some, you know, I love it. Do it's you great.
0: Want to, is it more of a narrative thing or do you desire to be small yourself?
1: Uh no. I if anything, I want to be the friend of someone small. Right. That that makes sense. Thanks for asking. Nobody ever asks me that. That's such a great question.
0: Well, I'm. if I can toot my own horn for a second, I ask great questions.
2: Yeah, you do. You do. So I'll see you later. See you next time.